It's good to be here with you this evening. You'd think after turning pages for four children, I would have gotten that done a little quicker. <clears throat> this evening, we want to talk about a statement that Jesus makes to Peter, not in Genesis 4, in Luke chapter 22, verse number 31 says, And the Lord said, Simon, Simon, indeed, Satan has asked for you that he may sift you as wheat. As we consider this statement that is made, my brain goes straight to a combine. And I've never thought about a combine from the realm of the grain going through it thought about a combine from the operator cab or from unchoking it or from having to work on it or from cleaning the raccoon out of the radiator, don't ask. I've never thought about it from the standpoint of the wheat running through it. It's a scary proposition. You hit a knife sickle, it goes into an auger, and then you run into a rotor that's grinding you and getting the chaff off of you, and then you're shaking by sieves. It's dark. <laughs> It's a scary thing. And as I was considering this study and I was thinking about this, it occurred to me that only about half of you get that analogy. So the other analogy, when you think about sifting as wheat, came from Rolf. He was showing some videos about cleaning beans a couple of months ago, and, and what stuck to me, he's got a sifter too, but what stuck to me was once they'd kind of been cleaned, he would take them and he had a big fan. He would turn that fan on and dump the beans past the fan and the chaff would blow away and the beans would, would fall into a bucket. And maybe that analogy works a little better for some of you here. So my question is, have you been sifted as wheat? Has that ever happened to you in your life? You ever had to go through something that's difficult, that's hard, and I think the answer to that question, once you get to a certain age, is yes. Now there's different levels, your struggles, the, the trials you've gone through are different than mine. They're different than each other's. And I may look at yours and go, oh, that's, that's simple and easy, but to you it's hard. You, know, you watch that in children growing up. They're making big deals about stuff. You say, yeah, what, what's wrong with you? That's nothing. But to them it's a big deal. And in your life, your struggles, when you've had trials and temptations and difficulties in your life, they're big. They're hard. There's a fact in this world, and that fact is that Satan desires us. Sin desires us. Now we'll go to Genesis chapter 4. This is God talking to Cain. Cain and Abel had made sacrifices, and Cain's sacrifice was not acceptable to God. And Cain was mad. And he had blamed Abel because his sacrifice was not good enough. And God looks at Cain, looks at Cain. God says to Cain, If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin lies at the door. And its desire is for you, but you should rule over it. Sin's there. It's always there. 
Now, if we're doing good, it may not be right on our doorstep. When we start slipping, when we start not being watchful, it's, it's right there waiting for us. It desires to have us. And God makes a simple statement here, but it's not simple in my life, and I'm sure it's not simple in your life. We should rule over it. We should be able to resist it, is how I understand that. It should be something that, that we should be able to get through. But that's not always the case, is it? Sometimes these struggles, these difficulties, we falter. And Satan, Satan, I will not make that mistake again. Jesus looked at Peter and he said, Satan desires you. You're going to go through something. Something difficult. And it was a very difficult situation that Peter found himself in shortly thereafter. Matthew 26, verse number 31, Then Jesus said to them, his, his apostles, All of you will be made to stumble because of me this night, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd, and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. Everything Peter held close, everything Peter believed was about to be shaken. He was about to go through a very difficult trial. Jesus tells all of the apostles, they're going to kill me and y'all are going to scatter. He continues in verse 32, But after I have been raised, I will go before you to Galilee. Peter answered and said to him, Even if all are made to stumble because of you, I will never be made to stumble. Jesus said to him, Assuredly, I say to you that this night before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. Peter said to him, Even if I have to die with you, I will not deny you. So said all of the apostles. I don't know if it's my tendency to find other, sorry, to uh, see my own faults in other people, but when I read this statement Peter makes here, I see pride. I see someone going, no, no, I've got you. All these other people, they may falter, but I'll, I'll be there. Even if they kill me. Callum made the statement this morning about being too proud to see our own weaknesses. That's what I think Peter was doing here. I think he was too proud to see his own weakness. Said, I don't care how much sifting Satan wants to do, I'm not going to fail you. But Peter was not ready for what was about to happen to his Lord and his Savior. Jesus was arrested and taken away. We pick up this reading in, in Matthew chapter 26, verse number 69. Now Peter sat outside in the courtyard. And a servant girl came to him, saying, You also were with Jesus of Galilee. But he denied it before them all, saying, I do not know what you are saying. And when he had gone out to the gateway, another girl saw him and said to those who were there, This fellow was also with Jesus of Nazareth. But again, he denied with an oath, I do not know the man. And a little later, those who stood by came up and said to Peter, Surely you also are one of them, for your speech betrays you. Then he began to curse and swear, saying, I do not know the man. Immediately a rooster crowed, and Peter remembered the words of Jesus, 
who had said to him, Before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. So he went out and wept bitterly. It was hard. It was a difficult time in Peter's life. And he failed. He, f- he fell short of what he should have done. Now, as I think about <clears throat> what happened with the apostles, Peter gets to be picked on because we have the most details about Peter. But you know what the apostles didn't have? They didn't have a risen Savior at this time. What they had was the man they had followed was being put on trial, was being beaten. They saw, at least Peter saw the blood coming from his wounds. This man had been claiming to be the Son of God, and yet here he is, about to be killed, bleeding, being beaten, mocked. His faith was being shaken. The day that Jesus was resurrected, Mary and some of her companions went to care for the body of Jesus, and they found the tomb empty. And Mary ran to Peter and, said, and John and said, Hey, the, the tomb's empty. You know what Peter and John didn't do? They didn't go, Oh yeah, he told us about that. Well, that makes sense. Well, they left, and they ran to the tomb to see for themselves. After Jesus had shown himself to most of the disciples, we find this statement made by Thomas. It says in John 20, verse 25, The other disciples therefore said unto him, We have seen the Lord. But he said unto them, talking about Thomas, Except I shall see it in his hands, the print of the nails, and put my finger into the print of the nails, and thrust my hand into his side, I will not believe. I have a hard time putting myself, even though we strive to do that every Sunday, putting myself at the foot of the cross and seeing the brutality that occurred there. Seeing exactly what happened. That man, beaten, bloodied, crucified, it's almost impossible to believe that he would be resurrected that he would be able to come out of that grave. Thomas didn't believe it until he saw it for himself. It was a hard time in Peter's life. You know, we see this warning that that Peter was given. Jesus told him exactly what was happening. We read that, we go, come on, this is so simple. You knew it was going to happen and you did it anyway. But how often are we guilty of the same? How many warnings do we have in Scripture about the trials, about the temptations, about the difficulties of life, and we just run right for it? We just want to read this one because it's the one I identify the most with. James 4 and 4, adulterers and adulteresses, not that part. Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Whoever, therefore, wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. And I read that 
And yet I continue to ignore the warning, just like Peter did. I continue to want to keep one foot with my friendship in the world and then one foot in here. And if we're friends with the world, we're the enemies of God. And this is just one of many warnings that we're given in Scripture. The Bible's filled with warnings of temptations, of trials, and of difficult times. So the question we want to ask this evening is are we ready? Are we ready for those difficult times to come in our life? Are we ready for, to face Satan when he wants to sift us as wheat? As he said, or as he did to Peter. After Jesus makes the statement to Peter about Satan wanting to sift you as wheat, in Luke 22 and verse 32, he says, continuing his thought, But I have prayed for you that your faith should not fail, and when you have returned to me, strengthen your brethren. We're going to use this as a guideline tonight for are we ready for the trials of this life to come. And we're going to notice some things that Jesus says here and go through them together. And the first thing he talks about, or that he says, is I have prayed for you. Prayer needs to be an important part of our everyday life. In Philippians 4, verse 6 and 7, Be anxious for nothing but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God which passes, sorry, surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds through Jesus Christ, through Christ Jesus. Dad talked last Sunday about the faithfulness of God. This is a promise we're given. Let our requests be made known to God and the peace of God will guard your hearts and minds. It's a protection that we're granted, that we're given. When we're active in our prayer life, when we're spending time, intentional time, when we're praying without ceasing to God, we have a guard around our heart. We have some protection from this life, from the difficulties that will come. So we're going to continue to pick on Peter a little bit. Did Peter pray? In Matthew 26, verse 40 and 41, immediately prior to Jesus being arrested, he's in the garden, and he's with Peter and James and John, and Jesus went a little ways to go pray, and he prayed three times. And in Matthew 26, and verse 40, it says, Then he, speaking of Jesus, came to the disciples and found them sleeping and said to Peter, what, could you not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray, lest you enter into temptation. The Spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. He'd been warned, Satan's going to sift you as wheat. And then he fell asleep instead of praying. He wasn't ready, he wasn't prepared. Watch and pray, Jesus tells us, lest you enter into temptation. Do we use prayer to help keep temptation at bay? When we see it coming, do we hit our knees and ask God for help to help guide us through, to help get us through? Do we pray in the good times? Or do we just pray when we need God? I hope that we pray in the good times, and if you don't, 
please start. Because it's imperative part of our Christian life. And it's very important when facing trials that are to come. <clears throat> Another thing we want to note about this uh, statement Jesus makes is He says that I will pray, or I have prayed for you. Do we pray for each other? James 5 and verse 16 tells us to confess our trespasses one to another, to one another, and pray for one another that you may be healed. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. Do we pray for each other? Is that an active part of our life? We see example after example of that, and we want to just run through a few fairly quickly here. But at the beginning of many of the letters in the New Testament, some version of this is stated. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all that your faith is spoken of throughout the whole world. For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing I make mention of you always in my prayers, making a request if by some means now at last I may find a way in the will of God to come to you. Paul prayed often for the church there at Rome. And he prayed for their faith, and he prayed that he would get to come see them sometime soon. And in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 15 through verse 19, Therefore I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus, and your love for all the saints, do not cease to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers. Here he prayed for their faith. And he prayed for their love. And he was thankful for those things. In Philemon chapter 1, verse 4 through verse number 7, he says, I thank my God making mention of you always in my prayers, hearing of your love and faith which you have towards, toward the Lord Jesus and toward all the saints, that the sharing of your faith may become effective by the acknowledgement of every good thing which is in you in Christ Jesus. For we have great joy and consolation in your love because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed by you, brother. He prayed for Philemon. Again, he, he, he prayed about his love, about his faith. And in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 2, we give thanks to God always for you all, making mention of you in our prayers, remembering without ceasing your work of faith, labor of love, and patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ in the sight of God and Father. Our God and Father. That makes more sense when I read it here. <clears throat> Do we pray for each other? Are we active in doing that? You really stole my thunder with your prayer this evening. He prayed for not only me and my speaking tonight, but for anyone speaking the Word of God around the world. I really appreciated that prayer. We need to be praying for one another in this building. We need to be praying for our brethren all over the place. Now, there's been times in my life that I've sat down and gone, well, I just, I don't really know what to pray for. There's 300 people here. 
There's people just north of us and just south of us and over there and they're everywhere. We have knowledge, acquaintances minimum, with our brothers all around the world. Many of them we know by name. We can name a lot of people in our prayers and ask God to help them. You know, far too often in my life, you know, we, we read the passage where, it's not coming to my mind exactly, but our, our race is compared to a race. Our life is compared to a race. And we're told that we need to run this race because only one of us gets the crown. And the point of that is we need to run like only one of us is going to get the crown. But far too often I think we, we read that and go, oh, I, I need to run because I'm going to be the only one that gets it. We treat this life as a competition. I've got to do better than you so that I can be sure I get to heaven. That's not how it is. It's not a competition. It's not a race where I have to beat you in order to get my crown. We all need to be running to attain that crown. We all need to be helping each other and pushing each other. It's not a competition. We're a family. We're in this together. And we need to pray for each other to have strength. Jesus said, I have prayed that your faith would not fail. Was Peter's faith ready for this trial? It's a very bold statement that he made. I'm, I'll follow you even to death. But as I, as I stated earlier, when I read that, I don't see faith. I see, I see pride. In Luke 22, verse number 24, it's around this same time that we're talking about just before Jesus was crucified it says that now therefore sorry now there was also a dispute among them as to which of them should be considered the greatest they'd just been having this discussion and now gung-ho Peter's going no I'm going to follow you even to death and to me that's going I'm going to follow you even to death that makes me the greatest right right Jesus that makes me the greatest Are we filled with pride? Do we think we can handle whatever this life has to throw at us because I've got this? Or are we filled with faith that God's going to help us, that God's going to take care of us? As we consider Peter's faith, he had enough faith to step out of that boat onto the waves, but he did not have enough faith to keep from sinking In Mark chapter 8, verse number 32, Jesus had begun to teach them, the apostles, about how he was going to have to go to Jerusalem and the things he was going to suffer there. And it says in verse 32, he spoke this word openly. <clears throat> then Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But when he had turned around and looked at his disciples, he rebuked Peter, saying, Get behind me, Satan, for you are not mindful of the things of God, but of the things of men. As you look at Peter's life pre-crucifixion, I think that's what you find a lot. 
Peter was concerned with the things of this life. His faith was in the things of this world. Not in God. Mark 16 and verse 14, after Jesus had been resurrected, resurrected, Mark 16 and 14 says, Later he appeared to the eleven as they sat at the table, and he rebuked their unbelief and hardness of heart because they did not believe those who had seen him after he had risen. They had to go check to make sure the tomb was empty. They had to physically see Jesus in order to believe. But after the resurrection, Peter had plenty of faith. He penned these words in 1 Peter chapter 1, beginning in verse number 3. It says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to His abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. He trusted in the power of God. And much like we have some protection through a faithful God whenever we have an active prayer life, when we have a strong faith, we have the power of God behind us. If God be for us, who can be against us? And Peter recognized that, and he penned these words because of that. Continuing in verse number 6, And this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials that the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold, that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ, whom having not seen, you love. Though now you do not see him, yet believing, you rejoice with all inexpressible, with, sorry, with joy inexpressible and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, the salvation of your souls. We're going to have trials. We're going to have difficulties. We're going to be tested by fire. We're going to have temptations. If our faith is strong, we have the power of God behind us. Let's work on our faith. Let's spend time actively building it. The Bible tells us that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. Let's stick our nose in the book and read it. Build our faith so that we have that power when we need it. The other thing Jesus said to Peter was, When you are converted, strengthen your brethren. We need to be willing to use our experiences use what we've been through in life. You know, when we get sifted as wheat, as we notice from Peter, Peter failed, didn't he? But he didn't fail again. He came back. He allowed <laughs> Satan to blow him around, 
but he came back. And then he used, as we can see here in 1 Peter, his experiences to help strengthen others. Sometimes we fail. Sometimes we succeed. As long as we don't lose our faith and come back to Christ, even if we fail, we can use some of those experiences. We can use that past life to help teach others, to help keep others from making the same mistakes, or for, to help others get through things, to be a good example if we made it through. We need to be willing to use our experiences. Hebrews 12, verse number 12 says, therefore strengthen the hands which hang down and the feeble knees and make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be dislocated but rather be healed. We need each other. We need to spend time strengthening each other. We need to spend time with each other so we notice when someone is feeling kind of feeble, when somebody's struggling. We need to make straight paths for one another. So that instead of people being discarded, they can be healed. We see the example given to us in Acts chapter 14, verse 21. And when they had preached the gospel to that city and made many disciples, they returned to Lystra, to Iconium, and Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, exhorting them to continue in the faith, and saying, We must, through many tribulations, enter the kingdom of God. That's what they did. They went back to all the churches they had been to and they continued to strengthen them. Reminding them, hey, be ready. Be prepared. There's going to be trials before we get there. But we're in this together and we can do this together. It's a responsibility we have to use our experiences to help teach others. 2 Timothy 2, verse 24 through verse 26, The servant of the Lord must not quarrel, but be gentle to all, able to teach, patient in humility, correcting those who are in opposition, if God perhaps will grant them repentance, so that they may know the truth, and that they may come to their senses and escape the snare of the devil, having been taken captive by him to do his will. The responsibility of the leadership in Christ's kingdom to teach, to admonish <laughs> with patience. It takes patience sometimes, I'm sure. But we need the experience in the building to speak up, to be willing to teach in this manner to help strengthen the brethren. Titus 2, verse number 3, the older women likewise. <clears throat> this verse has always humored me. It humors me more now that I'm, I'm, I'm a little bit sleep deprived. No one in this building wants to be an older woman. It's just not, you, you don't want to admit that. But you're older than somebody. The older women, likewise, that they be reverent in behavior, not slanderers, not given to much wine, teachers of good things, 
that they admonish the young women to love their husbands, to love their children, to be discreet, chaste, homemakers, good, obedient to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be blasphemed. Older women, you have experience, and it's valuable experience. I know some of your husbands. I know how difficult they must be to love. You can teach that to the younger women. I know how difficult I am to love. My wife may need to be taught to love me. You have experience that's valuable. And it's not just those who may or may not identify as older women. I've been really encouraged over the last little bit about how many people who I would consider children have made the statement, I want to use my experiences to help other people who may be going through similar things. Everyone has struggles in their life. Everyone has a difficulty that they've been through, that they've either gotten through with flying colors or failed and struggled and and managed to get through it and come back to Jesus. Those experiences matter. We need to be willing to strengthen the brethren. We need to be willing to use those experiences as Peter did. To help one another. In John 21, verse 15, again, this is after Jesus was resurrected. It says, So when they had eaten breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me more than these? And he said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to them, said to him, Feed my lambs. And he said to him again a second time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, Tend my sheep. He said to him a third time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him a third time, do you love me? He said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Jesus is just reminding him of what he said in Luke. Strengthen your brethren. Needs to be something that we're all active and striving to do. And Peter did that. In 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 10, Therefore, brethren, be even more diligent to make your call and election sure, for if you do these things, you will never stumble. Peter stumbled. And Peter knew if you are diligent in making your call and election sure, you will not stumble like I did. You will not fail. For so, verse 11, an entrance will be supplied to you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. One of the Things I don't love about the wheat and chaff analogy is it it seems a little hopeless. You're either wheat or you're chaff. Jesus made the statement to Peter, I believe that Peter failed. I believe Peter was chaff when, when Satan sifted him. I believe he failed. 
Jesus said, when you are converted, strengthen the brethren. (laughs) Trials, temptations, difficulties of this life, they tell us something about ourselves. Now, as I was putting this study together, I took a lengthy hiatus from it. I just, I, I couldn't pick it up. And I'll be honest with you, it's because I was scared to pick it up. I was scared of what it would reveal about me. The joy is there's time, as long as we have the Lord's patience. But there's going to come a day where there will no longer be time. This is John the Baptist talking in Matthew chapter 3, verse 11 and 12. I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance. But he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. His winnowing fan is in his hand, and he will thoroughly clean out his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn, but he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. I encourage you to learn from your experiences. Learn from your trials and your difficulties. Are you wheat or are you chaff? And if you find yourself to be chaff, make the changes necessary in your life. Be prepared for the next time Satan's going to come and sin's going to be lying at the door. Be active in your prayer life. Work on your faith. Let's help each other. We need to strive to be ready. We'll continue the wheat analogy for for this verse. In John chapter 12, verse 23 through 26, it says, But Jesus answered them, saying, The hour has come that the Son of Man should be glorified. Most assuredly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it produces much grain. He who loves his life will lose it, and he who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, let him follow me, and where I am, there my servant will be also. If anyone serves me, him my father will honor. We need to die to the old man. If your trials and struggles of late have shown you that you're not who you need to be, we need to put that person who loves this world down. We need to allow Christ to reign in our lives. We need to bury that old man. If you're here this evening and and you have not been baptized into Christ, that's the first step into getting rid of that old man. Into serving Christ. We don't need to love our life in this world. We need to be looking forward to our life in heaven. If you need to bury that old man in baptism tonight, we would be thrilled to help you with that this evening. If this evening you're really struggling with some things in your life and and you need the prayers of the church, we would be happy to help you, uh, to, to pray with you, to pray for you, to do whatever we can to help you in your life. If you're not comfortable coming up to the front pew, I encourage you to find somebody who you can talk to. Go find them. The fervent 
The prayer of a righteous man avails much. It does a lot of good. I encourage you to do that. But if you would like the prayers of the church or would like to be baptized this evening, we'd ask you to come as we stand and sing.